When I wake up, no makeup, half naked, I feel like I'm the shit. Pardon my language, but hang-ups do not define the kid. No, I'm not flawless, I'm scarred up and I'm fine with it. My body are the laundry list of all of life's unkindnesses. But I still sip tea and chant home and live free. Cause hardships and heartbreaks turn to rap epiphanies. And mom told me stay woke, cause all gold ain't glistening. Choose your words wisely, cause the all-knowing's listening. But no worries, I'm Gucci. My thighs are low juicy. My dialogue, low awkward. My idols still move me. My life is a movie, like Raheem and Mookie. I'm just trying to the right thing hope that it improves me my bamboos are costume to me you'll be soon accustomed to me this tomorrow i got royal hemoglobin coursing through me and my strength is now inhuman i get that straight from my own me signed in silver mouth the grill of yours and truly you better shine on a baby you a star you better be exactly who you are forever cause they gon' try and change your heart don't let up cause you're so damn fine just the way you, you better are. shine on a baby you a star podcast everyone today my guest is currently in town for a pacific northwest tour she's performing in seattle on 217 then oregon on 218 and 219 she's currently signed to rhyme sayers which hosts other artists such as mf doom brother ali atmosphere it's my pleasure to introduce saw rock hey there we go (laughs) how many people like get you mixed up with like sir rock uh when i first started Okay. I would get that a lot. Oh, like the alcohol? <laughs> I feel like the, the hyphen helps, I feel like. It gives yeah. you like a little breath. I and then the the pronunciation, which people, I think, naturally, it rolls off the tongue. They want to say Ciroc. I'm like, no, it's Ciroc. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Maybe you need like a <laughs> like an accent, maybe? Maybe that would help. <laughs> I think it's good where it is. People just got to get, yeah. get used to it. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's my biggest thing. Like I tell my friends and other artists, like, you know you've made it when like Alexa or Google understands what you're saying. Like, look at like X X X Tentacion. Oh right. Like people can pick up on that easily. Exactly. Well, the go- that well, Google it took can. me a while to. It's still yeah. awkward. I feel like I'm saying it wrong, and I feel like yeah, exactly. If someone like actually is like a big fan, they're gonna. Probably, I think it's like Mexican almost. I don't. Tentacion. Tentacion. I, I th- yeah, I think that <laughs> pronunciation is. But it's it's interesting when you talk about naming yourself and mm. you know because you want your name to be true to your identity and how you express yourself as an artist but you also want people to be able to pronounce it when they read it yeah, you know um, for sure. so yeah Sarak, I don't get that I don't get Sarak so much anymore yeah <laughs> I've already been through a name change also like my uh my original title was H-H-H-N-A-S-T and it stood for Hottest hip hop news and sneaker talk, which is like a mouthful, yeah. right? So yeah. I tried to make it like an acronym, H-H-H-N-E-S-T. And people thought I was like Triple H, like the wrestler. So I just cut off the H's and now it's just N-A-S-T. Okay. Very simple, you know? Yeah. And, th- and then I was like, I was like, is it nasty? Hey, see there, that's part of the marketing. Right, there. so right. <laughs> Get people talking about it. Yeah. So... Tell me what it's like being signed to a record label like Warheim Sayers. Did you ever feel like there's there's two female artists now signed to the label, mm-hmm. but did you ever feel like you, you were like a token woman hired there? Mm, I guess no, because I, I guess you hired. could feel that way about the entire industry. Mm. You know, um, women, we've had to fight for our position and within hip hop, especially within the past, I would say ten to fifteen years, um, we weren't seeing. Uh, women artists as frequently and often when we were seeing them there was one or two you know allowed to to gain a certain level of popularity and everybody Mm. else was kind of relegated to underground or like just below the surface of of mainstream so I think you know it's just indicative of where the industry is and now that we're seeing more and more um, artists you know from Megan, the Cardi to, you know, Lotto and, you know, they're, they're all, they all have, you know, um, pretty good visibility, you know, they are very extremely popular and they're all existing at the same time. Um, we're seeing more and more women be able to have that exposure and platform. So what do you mean by be able to that? Like, how do you, how, how do you, how did the music industry make it so that couldn't be a thing? Say that one more time. Like how, how was it actually a thing where like, women weren't able to have like a higher spotlight 
in hip hop? Like um, how- you know, it's controlled by men. Mm. It's controlled by men. Um, and where it was a shared culture before, uh, where women were extremely vocal, and you know, you had everybody from Queen Latifah to MC Light to to uh, Moni Love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think when I think when when the content of the music started to become to skew a little bit more um, evid- evidently more misogynist, hmm. that's when I think I, we saw a shift where women were kind of relegated to the background or um, side pieces or you know what I mean like right. and the industry was allowed to control the narrative and push this kind of music and push this kind of artists and women were pushed further and further to the back. Do you think there was like, can you pinpoint like what era you'd say that was? Hmm. I don't, I think, I feel like we started seeing that because the last, so there was Lauren Hill, her album came out in what, 90, 98? Okay. I believe Miseducation of Lauren Hill and then her contemporaries, I think, who was around her time or Missy, Elliott, Missy Little Eve, Kim. you know, Lil Kim, Foxy Brown, Eve Kim a little bit later, but Foxy oh. Brown. Um and then I really would say maybe early two thousands or late nineties, early two thousands when we started to see like it thin out a little bit more. Mm. You know, when did you join? Like, when did you start making hip hop? When, when you, you were like mid 20s, correct? 2008. So you were like, tw- you're like tw- 20. How old were you? Like, you were mid 20s, right? When you started like actually taking hip hop seriously? I was in my 20s. Okay. So I was just wondering, what were you doing bet- between hip hop and like your mid 20s? You know, trying to figure out life. Hmm. Uh, I had left college and just was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I moved and, you know, I wanted to travel and just figure out like what my place was. Um, So I was just working a regular nine to five retail and enjoying the new environment. Um, Because you moved or? Yeah, I moved. I moved from DC to Atlanta. Mm. Um, and just kind of enjoying the new environment. I was doing some traveling and it was one of those things that came to me. It found me as opposed to me finding it. Um, so I was just, and I ended up like juggling what I would call real life with like my burgeoning career or, um, development as, as, as a hip hop artist. So I was doing all the regular things, working 40 hours a week and on the management track at my job and <laughs> figuring that out, figuring how to juggle that. But it it, it was like kind of a, an additional lifeline for me, hmm. you know, as I was finding my place within the culture and finding my place as a writer and finding my voice. Um, it was a... Um, it was just kind of like a, a this kind of fantasy world away from the grind of, you know, day-to-day work and all of those things, which I was good at, but not really happy with, you know? So you grew up in Washington, D.C., but you don't feel like you found yourself till you moved to Atlanta? Or how would you describe that move? Um, you know, I think... I think when I moved from Washington to Atlanta, I was a young adult and, you know, who knows themselves as a young adult. Um, but I think, you know, when you're you're from a city, which D.C. is not small, but it's not huge. It's it's small. It's it's large, but it's small enough that you feel kind of suffocated because you end up seeing the same people and doing the same things and mm-hmm. running in the same circles and stuff. And so I wanted to forge an identity and um, a piece of myself outside of this place that had raised me. And, you know, um, I always wanted to just explore what I could be outside of that, you know, Mm -hmm. environment. Um, 
And it's there's something about being on your own and being independent and being in a place that's completely new where you have to fend for yourself and figure out things by yourself that forges the best from you. You know what I mean? So. And why'd you choose Atlanta then out of like any place well, to move? <laughs> why did I choose Atlanta? My first choice was New York. Okay. Honestly, but New York was too damn expensive. Still is. Right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's gotten even more so. So, you know, that was the plan. I was looking up um, property. I'm mean, not property, but like I was looking up like rentals and stuff like that. But when I saw that you had to have like a broker to find a spot, I was like, this is too much. <laughs> and my sisters, I had family who lived in Atlanta and stuff, too. So I was like, OK, OK, uh, there's a little bit of familiarity there. And I had visited when I was younger. So it's like, cool. OK. What was your what was your dream job then when you were like growing up? Was it to be a hip hop artist? No, 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 no. It was actually um, to do something in science at first. Uh, I wanted to be a holistic uh, wellness practitioner, and Break then that, what is that? Um, someone who treats uh, who treats imbalance in the body and disease in the body through herbs and natural like supplements and understands that there's a connection between like mind body and spirit and when those things are eastern right eastern and yeah and and when those things are not in alignment there's you know there's other things that need to be addressed other than just like symptomatic bodily like physical reactions to things Mm -hmm. so so i wanted to do that and that kind of always stayed at the back of my mind because i was really into like herbs and stuff and Earlier, I wanted to do something with like animals or like um, conservation biology. And so that that's what right before I left school, I was doing I was doing like a a pre-grad program and and um, doing a research project on the (laughs) on um, the great apes. And I got like a job at the zoo and everything. So like I'm super an animal. And like that's something that is still like. In the back of my mind is something I want to do maybe 10 years from now, work with like con- conservation um, uh, facilities like di- in different places uh, in the world. So Like a partnership. That would be a dope partnership. Yeah. I always used to remember see, uh, PBS used to do these um, documentaries with like these celebrities. And they would talk about like endangered species, like oh, wow. it would be like Gwyneth Paltrow or Leonardo DiCaprio or something like talking about polar bears and like going to these like animal sanctuaries and stuff like that. And I was like, so I always look at that and be like, I would love to do something like that, oh, you know. Wow. So we'll see. Did you go like hiking and stuff in Washington? Are there like forests and stuff in Washington, D.C.? I haven't I've only been there like there, once or twice. There are like uh, parks and like nature mm-hmm. preserves, but I never went hiking actually until... Mm. I would say until I started traveling to like California um, and we would go to like the redwood forest and stuff like that and go Uh hiking through the woods. But I never um, I never went hiking, Mm. never was like averse to it, but it's. I don't know. Just I'm a city girl, so yeah. I, I have like <laughs> never hi- had the opportunity to. I have like hiking boots in my trunk. Even. I love that. I love yeah. that. See, I'm not one of those people who are like ah hiking boo. You know, <laughs> I want to do it, but Atlanta has like some places, <clears throat> like some places in like North Georgia and like Tennessee and stuff where you can go hiking. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those things you got to make a whole like trip out of it and stuff. Oh yeah. So, but nature is. I love nature. It's beautiful. Yeah, here in Seattle, you just like drive down the street and you're in in nature i love that it's interesting like talking to like my older friends and family about like even within the past like shit let's say 50 years so like my grandma for example Mm -hmm. i keep talking about my grandma that's funny oh you love your grandma but um (laughs) she lives in like the redmond area which is like east seattle okay and i think she moved there like the 70s right mm-hmm. and it was just like one small town and the rest was just forest mm. and within the past like 50 years everything's just been basically clear cut and there's like huge malls and oh wow it's All just development and stuff yeah seattle's a super fast growing because it's a tech city now it used to be a fucking like port city and like you know what's really re- sad what? <laughs> i uh i didn't realize when i was like in school that 
I was learning like Washington Washington history. So I'd hear all this stuff about like Native Americans and like gold rushes and I was just like spacing out thinking it was just like we're just talking about like the United States in general and I was like, Oh shit. We're learning about Washington. Oh and interesting. <laughs> so you were just zoned out. <laughs> I I like it I didn't realize it until like I left school that I put two and two together. It's like there's just so much history in Washington. Yeah, I don't really know much about it um, mm. outside of like musical influences out of like Seattle and Washington yeah. and stuff. So um, it's a beautiful place. Like every time I come to the Pacific Northwest, like just the change in environment, like the different types of trees. And, yeah. Um, it's it's really a breath of fresh air. Yeah. You know? so tell me about you got <clears throat> you were connected to like KXP, though, which is like a Seattle thing how'd you make that connection um they actually reached out to us oh wow yeah i i think the the guy who did the interview with me um oh, fuck i know his name what's his name? it's uh gabriel gabriel yeah. something tedros tedros yeah there we go i hope i'm pronouncing it right <laughs> but um you know we have a shared love for like science fiction and he like did um he did he worked with like one of my one of my favorite like sci-fi um speculative fiction authors and like so it was just like instant like synergy or whatever but he he was a supporter of the music for a while and he reached mm. out and we did the the um the thing i can't remember the name of the i think it's just called live performance or something oh okay i don't know yeah something, something we did the like live that. performance and interview which was fun yeah and then you've done like a tiny desk <clears throat> what was that like cuz that's like you, I, don't, I feel like that's a lot of artists like dream to do something. Like it was that. amazing. It was amazing, and that was another thing they reached us, reach out to us for. Wow. And, um, you know, that's something I've always wanted to do. Being from Washington D.C., growing up listening to NPR, um, and I've always wanted to do it in person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but when the opportunity, you know, happened over the pandemic, and um, we just, you know, I, we got our call and we we're super excited and um and it was less about like the exposure but just like to me i felt like it anchored me to the city because mm -hmm. those things are very much you know dc and i had no idea um, i'm gonna be honest i didn't yeah. know it's from <laughs> okay wow yeah so i'd see you know i was hyped to see like some of my favorite like go-go artists and stuff like that like the the woman who like is I don't know what her exact title, but she created Tiny Desk. Her name is Abby, mm. and she makes it a point to bring on like local artists who have been very uh, a part of you know forming DC music culture and culture in general. So um, there's a music genre named called Go Go. I don't know if you are you familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like she brought she's brought on our Rare Essence, which they're like one of the first Go Go bands in DC and stuff, and like that. It like I love how diverse it is. So like when I got the opportunity to do it, when we got the opportunity to do it, I was just like blown away and just super nervous and excited. And so, but it was cool. So you, since you started like your artistry, art, I said that word artistry in Atlanta. Do you say you're an Atlanta artist then, or a Washington? I say I'm a DC artist. Okay, wow. <laughs> you know, Atlanta has definitely influenced and informed me as an MC because like when mm -hmm. I started. I was learning, you know, in the midst of, you know, with an Atlanta producer, mm -hmm. you know, Soul Messiah, my producer, he's from Atlanta. Nice guy. You know. Yeah, he is a wonderful guy. <laughs> um, and worked with, he's an Atlanta legend himself, but also worked with like music legends who were really, really crucial in pushing the, what we know as the Atlanta sound. Some of the first artists like Outkast and Goody Mob, whatever, who made their splash on like mainstream, mm -hmm. who took hip hop from the south and made it a na a nationwide, you know, thing. I've had them on the podcast. Goody Mob. Oh, yeah. Yes. No brag, no bragging here. Yeah, <laughs> brag, brag on that. Shoot, that's worth a brag. Um so uh yeah, I mean, so that was really important in shaping my sound and then like me developing as an artist, me not really knowing what I was doing and then mm. having to look to all of these people, granted they were transplants. Yeah. The people these MCs who were, you know, collabing together and throwing shows and stuff like that but you're a transplant but, too then yeah huh you're a transplant absolutely as well. <laughs> absolutely but that's funny that the dc is the same way now like you they say the same thing about atlanta like you rarely find someone who's actually from mm -hmm. atlanta 
it's like a unicorn. Like, oh, you're from here? Mm-hmm. You know? So everybody was from everywhere, like from Tennessee, New York, blah, blah, blah. But it's still like we were all influenced by like the culture that was um, just, that was the backdrop for, you know, what we were creating and everything. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel like because I was of age, you know, when I moved to Atlanta, I still consider myself a DC artist and it, and I'm still trying to make that known because when right. I first started rhyming, people thought I was from everywhere. She's from New York. She's from New Jersey. People said Chicago, <laughs> people, you know, everywhere but DC. But, you know, the music history and being a part of the being a car, being a part of Washington DC's um artistic community is really important to me. Yeah. Um you know, DC has produced some really fine artists, um writers, etc. and the city to me has poured so much into me. It's really important for me to be considered amongst that community. Yeah. Um and Atlanta is like my second home, you know, for sure. So I guess I would be a DC Atlanta artist because I, I don't want to leave Atlanta out. Atlanta has been so, yeah. um, so much a part of making me who I am. Who are some like Washington DC artists? Even it's kind of escaping me right now. Marvin Gaye. Okay. Mm-hmm. Put some respect on DC. <laughs> okay. Um, but D- Duke Ellington. All right. Um, of course you know Wale. Yeah, yeah. And I'm um, trying to think some of the other because it's like isn't it? I feel like. Peaches and Herb might be, might be from. That's like old school. I, I, you know, I can't even really. <laughs> I, I like took her way back with that one. Um, they might be from DC. Um, and then there's like other dope like artists who didn't exactly hit like mainstream, mm. but are you know dope in their own right. There's yeah. uh, Odyssey, who's amazing producer and rapper, who tours all over the world. Um, it's just so many people and I'm probably just leaving, you know, people out yeah. at the front of my mind, but it's, it's weird. Cause like I'm from Washington. So mm-hmm. like I'll say Washington and other people you say, yeah, I'm from Washington too. And you're, you mean like Washington DC. So I it's know. like a, we'll never say Washington though. Just oh, like you DC. don't. You just say uh, DC. Yeah. Wait, what does DC even stand for? District of Columbia. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought I was going to get you there. I don't even <laughs> Really? <laughs> <Get me. laughs> that is hilarious. So, so you you started around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. You got signed around like two thousand sixteen, right? Yeah. So, what was that time like in between? Like, were you part of like the Atlanta music scene? Yeah, it was interesting because there were so many opportunities to perform in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always a show or something. There was always because. When I started rhyming, like I was involved in the the cultural community there, the activist community and stuff. So like a lot of those things, the like the independent hip hop shows and like the fundraisers and you know cultural events and stuff like that were in alignment. So there was all I was always being tapped for, and other artists were, were always being tapped to you know perform and. Um, so I got a lot of opportunities to like cut my teeth and hone my craft and stuff. And then a lot of artists had um, had a lot of agency mm-hmm. um, in terms of what they were able to do in terms of working. They were their own promoters. They were able to just book the clubs and stuff like that. Even like in the early 2000s? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it was really dope. It was really dope. And then when I got big enough, we started booking, you know, creating my own shows. I started doing my own shows, doing my own shows. Um, and then we all were kind of like working together. We would create songs together. We would hop in each other's videos. So it was really, really dope. And then right around the time, I feel like when like trap started popping, yeah. it shifted. And uh, there was this, there was a shift from celebration of local Atlanta artists to looking outside of Atlanta for talent. So, Mm. like, there were some festivals and stuff, you know, big festivals that would, um, quite honestly, leave out Atlanta artists and then just bring, like, artists from other cities and stuff to perform. And then then we started seeing promoters would, you know, get, like, a stronghold on, like, clubs and venues and stuff like that. And then 
create this thing where you would have to pay promoters to to get on a show and stuff. And I was like, mm. no, like I've paid my dues. I've done enough in the city that I'm not going to pay a promoter to get on a show. Whereas people would reach out to me before, you know, mm. to, to tap me to open for whoever, you know, was coming through the city at the time. So was that kind of like heartbreaking then? Like you like, yeah, think you're going was, on this trajectory and then because it felt like family and, a, you know, a strong community before. And then it just seemed um, like it just got quickly kind of commodified. The scene just got quickly commodified and we didn't we no longer really had control. We could still book like the venues we had relationships with and stuff. But that just kind of turned me off. And but it was cool because at that time I started performing outside of the city. Right. Um. My I feel like my first performance outside of the city was St. Louis. Shout out to St. Louis. Um, <laughs> and um. And then I got the opportunities because so Messiah he used to DJ for Nappy Roots, and so he would go on tour with them, and they were probably no they were the first people to take me on tour with them and allow me to open with them and stuff. And so I always like give them their flowers and credit them with allowing me to do that because that got me that took me from audiences that I was comfortable with and right. familiar with to like a whole nother thing. I was performing in Omaha, Nebraska <laughs> and like places I was like, y'all like hip hop out here, you know, and they absolutely did. Mm. And it was really, really cool to be able to see, you know, parts of the country that I had previ- I had previously never thought that I would get to Mm -hmm. um so yeah so it actually kind of worked out in my favor that at that time we had created so much content and we had created like a social not a social media presence but like uh, a presence on YouTube and stuff like that with the videos we're constantly creating that people outside of Atlanta were now starting to um we were getting exposure to people outside of Atlanta so we're we're starting to get booked outside so so you're talking about like the the mindset of like people in Atlanta being like independent. Mm-hmm. So when you were coming up, was your mindset to be independent as well, or was your was your goals to be signed to a record deal or what? You know, I didn't really have a clear vision about that mm. because you got to think. I I had just figured out that okay, this is something I could do. Yeah, you know, I'm still working this other career still at the back of my mind. I I ended up going back to school. So at one point I was working full-time. I was in school full-time, working on music full-time, you know, whenever I wasn't doing work, uh, whenever I wasn't working at my job. Right. And so, like, I was juggling all of these things because I still wasn't clear on what my path was going to be. And I was kind of one-track-minded, kind of singular-minded in terms of creating and not really thinking about the end goal. Mm. Um, I loved the the autonomy, being independent, like being able to uh, release whenever you wanted to. Like if we decided we wanted to release an album next week, we could do that. Right. You know. Um, but then the the flip side, having a label, because I'm still independent. Um, we have a joint um, a joint. Uh, what is the term for it? Partner? Joint venture. Venture. A joint venture with uh with Rhyme Sayers. But having a team of people who are pushing and promoting and are planning out launches and, you know, getting press and booking and all of that stuff, it makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But also you can't just jump out there and do when, whatever whenever. You know, you can with right. social media and stuff. You can do stuff like that. But like as far as like planned launches albums that's a lot more structured Mm -hmm. and learning that actually that that actually lends itself well to you know building up interest and you know building audience and stuff like that at first it was like no we're used to doing stuff like this and then i was like oh okay no it actually works in our favor to do it like this you know but um it is it 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 is um interesting because everybody to in a sense is a bit of a independent artists yeah yeah you know even mainstream artists because you have to control it's no longer just this machine that's just pushing you 24 7 you also have to generate interest and connect with your fans i say supporters i'll say fans but like connect with your supporters and create social media content and you're creating um 
all kinds of content, whether it's, uh, you know, your your photos and, and lives and all that stuff. So you're still essentially an independent independent artist in terms of having to self-promote. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting dynamic that we're in. So. so when you didn't really, like, understand the structure, did you feel like you were floating ever? Or did you feel like you were just, like, having fun and weren't worried about the next step? Or how would you describe that? I feel like I was learning and having okay. fun. Yeah. You know, I, with with working with Soul Messiah, because, it, you know, I was on his imprint. You know, he has his his independent label and has worked with, like, numerous artists um, out of Atlanta. And um, he was kind of, like, everything all in one. Mm-hmm. Like, booking. At first, he was shooting videos before we got, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, videographer. Um, what else? You know, of course, producing the music, DJing, like all of that. And so all I had to worry about was being creative. Um, And it's interesting now having to be like, okay, now I got to get up and I have to plan, you know, my reels and my TikToks and like everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's interesting having to do that now, being out of the space of just having to write. Um, But, you know, it's a part of we adapt and we change and shift and it's a part of what where music is and creating yourself as um an artist so mm-hmm. it's cool would you say you and Sol- messiah are like a like a duo a duo you know like yeah i feel like, like we're duo. we're a dynamic duo <laughs> i feel like we're we're a duo um you know of course i'm an i'm Your an own individual entity. artist i am my own entity but um we always started with the idea that there would be a rapper and a DJ, you mm-hmm. know, like the like Gangstar and you know Will Smith, Fresh Prince, yeah. Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff, and like you know that I think it's important to have a very cohesive sound, and we have created together for so long. We have developed like our own kind of unique sound together, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, so where you see him, you see me. Mm. Where you see me, you see him. <laughs> so one of my um, guests, they actually put out a documentary about their lives because they felt like when they were coming up, um, the like supporters or other artists or whoever didn't really realize their journey of how they became who they were. Mm-hmm. So like for you, for example, like when you were doing music, going to school and working, do you feel like other artists knew you were doing that at the same time? Or did you kind of create like an entity where people just thought you were this artist that they saw at shows and you were just having a great Well, everybody time? in Atlanta knew what I was doing mm-hmm. because I worked at a, a place where I was very vis- visible. I worked at a, a very popular <laughs> spot mcdonald's no no (laughs) no but i did work in retail Mm -hmm. and um so everybody came to my particular store yeah and it was funny because when i started rhyming i was establishing a name for myself and (laughs) i would be in the middle of like helping someone and people would be would come up and interrupt and be like hey Hey, are you Sarah? Can I take a picture? And I'd be like, so it was so weird having these two worlds collide. Yeah. People will be playing me their music, like, I got some beats for you. And I'm I am building an end cap, sir. Like, leave me be. So it was interesting. So everybody basically I say all that to say, everybody in Atlanta knew that quote unquote Sarah worked at this particular place because everybody shopped at this particular place. Yeah. Um, but outside of that. You know, I feel like, yeah, a whole bunch of people didn't know because I was creating so much. We were creating so much and doing so much. I don't think people fathom like how much of a world I had outside of the art, mm-hmm. you know. So it would be interesting to like talk about that time because I remember we have a particular album called Babylon that we did in ooh, what was that? I feel like we, 2013 or 2014 or something like that. And that album was done. We were like, okay, we're gonna drop this album. This is the the whole independent thing, being able to drop when we want. Mm-hmm. We said we're gonna do, we're gonna challenge ourselves, and we're gonna drop this album in what was it, seven or ten days? It was either seven or ten days of making it. Yeah, that we made wow. it and put it out. And I was working full time, 
at the time. So I would get off from work at 10, 30, 11 o'clock and then punch another clock, get my caffeine and work <laughs> on this album because we had this deadline to finish this album, you know, our own self-imposed deadline. And I remember crying like one night, like, oh my God, I gotta finish this. I gotta get up early in the morning for this, but I gotta finish these two songs because I fell behind on this day. Now I gotta do two songs to, you know, contribute to the album. So like stuff like that, I feel like it's behind the scenes stuff that people don't know, yeah. you know, what goes into making this kind of, of music and um, these songs that y'all hear. And like, I was crying when I wrote this song. <laughs> yeah, This is a three o'clock in the morning stressed song, you know? Yeah. Did you ever like hand out CDs at your work? No, <laughs> I didn't. Um, but I, I would like where I worked, it was interesting. A lot of celebrities would come into the store. Oh, cool. And I would never like bother any celebrities, but there was one time where I was like, I gotta get my CD to this person. Yeah. So I did, I well, I got it to their security. I got the CD to the security, but like. Oh, wow, they walked in, that's funny. Uh-huh, so I, you know, I made it a point to like keep those two things separate. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to, um, I really, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to create um, any more, any more distraction from my job because it was already kind of weird, mm -hmm. you know, having people like come up to me the way that they did. I wanted to make sure that like these worlds are very, very separate. So I don't want to be hustling CDs on the side. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Who was like, uh, what was your like first interaction or feature where you felt like you're like on the right track? Dang. Hmm. Let me scan. Let's see. That's a lot. So you mean like a feature or like a a pivotal moment in mm. I guess those are two. Maybe I maybe answer both as like individual questions. Okay. So dang. I feel like there are so many, but I feel like one of the major pivotal moments was uh, in 2014 when Black Thought came to perform at a festival in Atlanta and pulled me up on stage. I feel like that changed everything mm. for me. Um, it's my first time meeting him. And he was like, cool, cool, cool. What's up? And I'm hyped like, I met Black Thought. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> And I thought that was done. I'm about to watch this dope <laughs> performance of him on stage. And then all of a sudden, he's calling me on stage. And it was, it was, I was completely shook. And, you know, I did what I came to do. And from then, like, I built a relationship with him. And um, that, like, a couple of months later, he asked me to perform at this this event with Rhapsody and, and Rodiga, whatever. So we established a, a working relationship from there. But I feel like at that point, I had, I had performed at that particular festival festival before, mm -hmm. um, but never on that main stage. Yeah. So after that, I was I got booked for, I performed with um, De La Soul and Rakim and who else was on that stage? Um, and then I did. I was able to do it on my own on that main stage. So a lot of things kind of shifted, and my status kind of elevated from that. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely a pivotal moment. And then we eventually went on to um, collab on a song for my album, Sharecropper's Daughter. The Sharecropper's Daughter, exactly. Um, and I'm trying to think, feature wise, what was it? I mean, there was always something. It was always something happening that I feel like was like kind of positioning me to kind of move forward. But, hmm. Dang. that Those two might be one and the same. Like maybe the feature with him. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm trying to think. Let me come back to that question because I'm really trying <laughs> to think. I know there were some other things before that that I was like, oh, my God, I made it now. Yeah. <laughs> dang. So how do you build up a name in Atlanta? There's probably so many artists trying to do the same thing. Like, what did you do to stand out? It's got to keep pushing. Got to. I think really, what we make is is dope. Like, I'm mm -hmm. a. I'm gonna say that first. Of I am course. a dope artist. Mm -hmm. 
But there were plenty of other dope artists. Um, I think it was the consistency. And I think it was the scale at which we put out music and put out videos and mm -hmm. put out like we were putting out we were filming videos if you go back to some of my early videos on youtube i mean the camera is shaky it is blurry i i don't think i knew like i had memorized some of my lyrics in the video so i i wouldn't look at the camera i didn't like looking at the camera i was too nervous so like we were it was a huge learning curve, you know, but that didn't stop us from putting it out. Cause you know, yeah. as an artist, we sensitive about our shit. And a lot of times we become too critical of things. We want everything to be so, so perfect. And that holds us back from producing. Yeah. And I fall victim to that quite frequently, but then because I knew how important it was for me to keep, keep, keep um, producing. And, you know, so Messiah is like, he he's always he's the opposite of me like i'm more like um because he's been doing it for forever but also his energy is that you know i'm gonna be i'm gonna make 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 he's a definitely definitely a prodigious creator but for me i sit with things and then i write a little bit and then i leave it alone and then I, you know, get all emo and I mope about it. And then I come back and I'm like, you know, so mm -hmm. it takes me time to like develop something. And I think it works out in my favor. But um, he he was very, very um, instrumental in like making sure that I was, you know, come on, we got to do this. Like if a, if a new track came out, like if somebody did a track, he would be like, all right, I got it. Now we're going to do a takeover. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You do a takeover of this beat and we're going to drop it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he pushed me to... Oh, you did like a J. Cole one. Yep. I yeah. did a J. Cole one. Um, I did uh, the Kendrick Lamar control, mm -hmm. uh, Big Sean. Um, J. Electronica. J. Electronica. You just Kendrick had a show Lamar. with him like a couple, like a month ago. I did yeah, in Dallas. Ago. That's yeah. dope. Yeah, that one, that was crazy. Kind of a interesting full circle moment because uh, Solmas, I worked with him years back. Hmm. Um, but anyway, I was saying, oh, so I was just like creating, creating like things that I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks so bad. Why would I look at the camera? <laughs> but that, you know, people, it still resonated with people because yeah. they were listening to just the music. And if I had not, if we had not put all of this content out, like that wouldn't have pushed us to the forefront of, mm. you know, some of the art, the artists who were equally as dope, you know, who had put in the work and everything. But, you know, and I also think that we had something special, you know, because we worked exclusively with one another. Um, he understood how I was growing as an artist and he was able to create music that kind of like worked to support my, my voice. And, you know, he encouraged me to kind of experiment with different things that I probably didn't feel confident about and stuff like that. So that helped. And especially as a woman artist, Having someone, having access to a studio, you know, having um, access to a producer that you trust. Right. Um, it's it's challenging out here being an independent women woman artist on your own because, you know, people try to try you. And um, I've heard like just, you know, horror stories of, of, you know, producers who try to push up, you know, yeah. and then now their music is being held hostage because they don't they're not interested. You know, they thinking they got a working professional relationship and then this happens. So do you have any advice for artists in, in situations like that? Um, written, written agreements for sure. Um, and then investing in your own equipment, mm. learning these programs on your own. Um, I, there are enough programs like simple programs now that everybody with a computer can, you know, load on your phone or if you even have garage band on your, like, even when I'm like practicing or whatever, I've played around with garage band. I don't have to do that, obviously, because I have Soul Messiah, but like there are programs that it would behoove just the same way we get the, the latest phones and cameras to create our little reels and social media content. If you're an artist, especially a woman artist, like get familiar with these programs so you can do it on your own. Mm -hmm. There's like so many dope artists that have given up along the way. Have mm. you ever given up? And if you have, what kept you going though? Um, you know, I've never given up. 
but I have had moments where I felt like the road was very, very challenging. And I'm and you know, there might have been moments where I felt like I was plateauing mm-hmm. or um and in those moments I always again, I always had, you know, Soul Messiah to be like, Come on, now we're about to do this next project. And it was always like I feel like there was the universe always working in my favor. Like whenever I would push through one of those moments and, you know, still release something or despite all of the things that were happening in my life or, you know, maybe I felt um, um, like I was being blocked or I had a creative block or whatever. When I put whenever I push through that and, and push through my comfort zone. Um, I feel like the the universe would always be like, oh, okay, well now you have this show here, <laughs> and guess what? You know, such and such person heard your music and wants to collab, and oh, guess what? Your first European tour, you know, like so. Yeah. All of these things would just happen to remind me that I was on the right path and to keep pushing. I'm always reminded of that meme. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like a little cartoon, and it's this man. He's like hammering through like this rock or this mountain or whatever. And he's like, he gives up. And you see that there's like this really thin piece of wall on the other side is all this gold. Mm. And so I'm reminded of that, like just when you think that you're going to drop everything and it's not worth it or whatever, there's something just on the other side of it. Mm. Even if it's not like a physical thing, it's spiritually rewarding to honor your craft and honor your what you have to contribute to the world. You know what I mean? And if that's through creative expression, you have to keep giving that a voice and giving that a platform. And did you always have like support from your family or did it take a while for them to be supportive? It was interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, my parents wanted me to do something in medicine or they wanted them degrees and everything. <laughs> so, of course, it was a big disappointment when I left school. Yeah. Um, but I can say when I... First started and they well not when I first started but when they saw that I was actually like I had physical copies of music because that that makes it real for people like oh man like she actually has a CD mm-hmm. it's not just you know she's recording some stuff or she's performing at open mics and stuff she actually has a CD to sell so my father who was like one of the biggest opposers of me dropping out of school and stuff he he drove a cab. He started like purchasing CDs for me and like giving them out to his customers. Wow. And be like, this is my daughter, you know, or mm-hmm. he would play my music nonstop in his cab <laughs> and try to go to the local um, radio stations and drop them off to some of the DJs he knew and stuff. And um, so there was always still like this fear because he was an artist, a visual artist, a painter mm. and a graphic artist. So and he wasn't able to pursue his dream. So I think he felt that being an artist and being able to sustain yourself and take care of yourself and not be swindled by, you know, he'd heard horror stories. He was the 60s in the 60s and 70s, whatever. So he heard about the record labels that would, you know, give the artists a car and then be making million dollars, millions off of their music and yeah. stuff like that. Black artists spe- uh, specifically. And so he had all of that in his mind, like, you know, make sure be careful out here, you know, don't let anybody, you know, um, steal your your creative property intellectual property or whatever so like but he would be like at my shows and stuff super proud um so there was it was interesting so like there was the fear so there was always there was definitely support but then there was always like okay but when are you going to do the real thing when are you (laughs) going to get the real career like this is cool but when are you going to go back to school you still interested in medicine you know yeah dang so how how has the pandemic treated you? Am I is this the first like in person interview since COVID? Because I know you've done a lot of virtual ones. It, wait a minute. If so, that's something to celebrate. Yeah, I think this. I know. <laughs> I think it might be actually. Well, I'm honored if it is. Either way, I'm. Honored. Yeah, other than like you know like after festivals and stuff and have mm. people, but yeah, this is the first like in studio interview. So thank you. Hell yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it has been interesting, uh, especially for me because I really like performing and and connecting with like supporters and stuff after shows and stuff like that. It's just a different energy mm-hmm. um, when I get on stage. Like I'm able to be free, um, and just reinterpret the things that I've written and recorded. Um, 
in the way that I play them out on stage and stuff. So that was that was interesting. But there were still like streams of shows and stuff outside of outside of the virtual space. Right. There were still like some <clears throat> events and stuff that were happening in different parts of the world at like in 2021. Nothing nothing was happening in 2020, but like in yeah. 2021. Um but it of course it was interesting adjusting because right at the beginning of the pandemic I was on a tour with Rhapsody. That's so dope. And I know it was amazing. Um but the last show that we were supposed to do uh was canceled mm. because that that's when they were a lot of the states were instating like the um 100 100 you can have 100 uh oh, the people cap and so, yeah, yeah, yeah the cap on um gathering public gatherings and stuff and we were like oh man this is this is something now you know because mm-hmm. we were hearing wind of of it when we're on tour and it seems like this like the states that were affected by it where we would just be leaving that state and we'd be like okay then they would say you know washington is shut down like no one's coming in you know stuff like that so it was interesting but then right when I was scheduled to come back from the Rhapsody tour that next week, I was supposed to do a European tour. Mm. And so that was done. Um, and then I heard an artist say to me, being on tour is exhilarating and interesting. But sometimes when you get back home, because you give so much of yourself and because that space is so rewarding and it feels so, it's almost like a drug. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because all the endorphins are, you know, firing up and it just feels good. When you get home, it's kind of easy to slip into um, a space that not not depression or anything like that, but just like a sadness, a feeling mm-hmm. of sadness like you miss as as welcoming as home is. You miss being out on the road and you miss performing. And that combined with the fact that, you know, the world was you know, it was a scary place. We didn't know what was happening. It was interesting. I ended up taking, I was supposed to be writing at the time. I ended up just like being still for mm-hmm. months, you know, trying to uh, reignite like my meditation practice and um, go after like, like everybody was doing like, okay, I'm going to learn a new thing now. Like, you know, but really keeping it really inward, like doing a lot of reflecting and stuff like that. So after I got over my initial just um, my initial shakeup, which took a couple months for me yeah. to deal with, like my whole world is, is now changed. Um, everybody's world was, but uh, it was, it was, it was interesting to navigate and I had to really reflect on what it meant to be an artist and who I was outside of, me as an artist who I was outside of Cyrock and facing that can be kind of challenging fuck yeah it's like another entity and then yeah, you're like, oh my god right so that was that was that was fun <laughs> damn so what did you learn anything so did you learn anything like cool though like not saying that's not cool but did I you started learn like- I started playing the guitar ooh which is something I always wanted to do. I'm by no means proficient. <laughs> but I got I got a little guitar and I started taking guitar lessons and it was so dope. Like I love this I love the acoustic guitar and it, me creating music outside of my voice was was um was cool and it was empowering. Um so I started learning that. Um read just read a lot. Um So you like into sci-fi books you said or Mhm. Oh wow. Yeah, it's a spec- very specific authors. Okay, I'll say like um, Octavia Butler is like she she actually passed away in Washington, but which one? Um, like this Washington? Octavia Butler? Yeah, the your Washington. Wow, she actually passed away here, but she's from California. But she <clears throat> is an incredible black woman speculative fiction author, and who I just derive so much inspiration from. Like I, she lives in my head rent free. <laughs> literally like I'm a constantly I remember seeing something on social media where she literally wrote out all the things she eventually manifested in her career wow. she had a notebook and she said I want to have a best-selling book by you know this age I want to have done this I want to have released blah, blah, blah. and this and I'm looking in awe like she literally manifested her dreams 
And I constantly go back to a quote of hers where she talks about practice, the importance of of practice and habit as opposed to inspiration. Because I think that as artists, we think, oh, I'm supposed to be just creatively inspired all the time. And that is what makes me an artist. And if I'm not that I'm not a true artist, I'm not a true creative because I'm supposed to wake up and breathe art. (laughs) Right. And so that's something that I struggle with, because for me, I'm more I'm definitely more of a logical person. I have to really get into a space of creating and feeling confident enough about what I'm creating Um, because I didn't grow up being interested in hip hop. I didn't grow up rapping and, you know, that's so so interesting. Wow. Yeah. So like I feel like all of my peers were like, I've been rapping since I was seven years old, (laughs) you know, and that definitely wasn't the case for me. So and I've always excelled at like academics and felt that my creative side was, you know, a bit stifled or whatever. But um, I was validating to hear her say, like, you know, you're not always going to be inspired. Habit is the thing that's going to help you perfect and hone your your craft. She says she starts off the quote and I, I, I'm going to be paraphrasing. She starts off the quote saying, first, forget inspiration. Mm. Habit is more reliable. You know, habit is more dependable like that. Habit is a thing is that's const- is going to get you to become basically a better artist. She didn't say that, but that's essentially what she's saying in the end. That is what is what's going to sustain you. And I hear that often from, you know, vocal coaches to singers or whatever, like you have to practice 24 seven, you know, you have to get in those 10,000 hours. We talk, we hear about the 10,000 hour rule or whatever. Mm. That's what elevates a creative to, um, I don't want to say legend, but helps them create a legacy. Right. You know? So. Have you seen, um, the King Richard movie yet? I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I haven't seen it. Is it good? Yeah. I, I watched the other night and just to like, See how King Richard, if you guys haven't seen that movie, is um, it's about uh, Venus and Serena Williams' dad. Mm-hmm. And like during the movie, they talk about like how he planned from like the very beginning to like where they are now, like their whole, like his whole, like his kids' like entire career path. Mm. And like how that was kind of like troublesome for some people, being like, you're teaching your daughter how to play tennis like day in, day out. Like they're probably failing in school, which they weren't though. You know, just like kind of like his, he was. His creativeness, his creativeness was like through his kids, mm-hmm. and like how there was like some backlash between that. But like he was like, Venus is gonna be the number one tennis player, and then Serena's gonna be like the number, the the best that ever existed. Mm. And it was it was just so that movie was so inspiring. It was, yeah, I need to check that out. Yeah. I've been meaning to watch this on my watch list. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it is so. That's a talent in itself to have the vision. Yeah, to kind of execute a plan, execute a dream and, and to pull out the best in people, you know, and it may feel like I've had moments where I felt like, Oh, I'm being overworked or I need to take a break or whatever. But had I taken a break, you know, I might've missed out on a particular opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know, had I not dropped, you know, forever when I did would have, would I have, gotten you know this european tour would i have been you know been performing at the london jazz club like who had that person would that person have seen me that promoter that booker or whatever you know what i mean did you hold on to that song for a bit or i'm sorry did you hold on to forever for a bit or um i had it well i was holding on to it till until like you know the album was gonna drop Mm. or closer to the album dropping but because it was taking a while for me to Right. I was dealing with my creative little issues and trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to say that we were like, let's just drop it. So, one, you can have some content. And then also, um, I, you know, I think it's necessary right now. Yeah. And um, we did. And it had legs. Yeah, know? it did. I have two more questions. Yes. First, I think when just a normal person or even like an up-and-coming artist sees an artist signed to a record label and that that artist must be like a crazy millionaire or whatever (laughs) right so what is your advice to artists 
when it comes to like you even being on like a record label? Do you like still need to diversify your funds? And if you do, what are some cool, I, I don't know, cool ideas, but like some just like ideas on how to do that. Like, are you an artist who's able just to focus on being an artist or do you have to have other ways of making money as well? Or um, Now I'm, I'm actually in a, a position where I'm able to just focus on art. But I absolutely think it's important to have several several streams of income um, and to diversify. And I hate the idea of branding, mm -hmm. but it's kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, it just really is. When you do a particular thing, you create, you naturally create like this imprint. And it's important for you n now to, in order to grow, is to, um, I hate to use the word capitalize off of, but people want to, they want to see or to have, um, inside knowledge on other aspects of you outside of what it is that you make, mm -hmm. you know, whether if you're a singer or a rapper or if you are a designer or whatever, they're now wanting more with social media. We're able to see like people's lives. So like what I want to know what that product you use in your hair is. Yeah. And I want to know, you know, those, those, that dope little, uh, outfit you have on you styled it or you you created you made those pants or whatever how can I get a pair of those pants mm -hmm. so we gotta really as an artist you gotta capitalize off of those things that are unique to your personhood as well as unique to yourself as as you know as a creator um, and making sure that people are able to kind of tap in to you know different parts of your li lifestyle of course keeping private what you want to keep private mm. but um i think it's a, we're in a unique opportunity to be able to showcase the other things that we do and that we're um capable of and bringing people in that world you know if you have the autonomy and agency to do so you can make money off of that mm. and that's an important thing to do because we don't know what tomorrow will bring, you yeah. know? We don't know if, if I'm not manifesting this, but I'm not affirming this to the universe. Universe, are you listening? Mm. But um, we don't know if we're going to get polyps on our, our vocal cords or, you know, like it, anything <laughs> could happen yeah, yeah. where this is no longer profitable for you. Right. So you have to be able to pivot and you have to have things at the ready to be able to sustain yourself. And I think more and more people are looking to doing that. So and it's really important. So my last question is, <clears throat> is I'm trying to decide, uh, do you consider yourself like a hippie? A hippie? Yeah, you know, like, cause you're talking about holistics and um, then you're talking about the universe. And I've, been, I, I've always been, I've been trying to pinpoint what you, if you consider. I definitely do not fit in the box. So I'm influenced <laughs> by a lot of things, but I will say that I, had the Woodstock, Woodstock soundtrack <laughs> on repeat when I was younger and I definitely am into Eastern spirituality mm. and I definitely feel that there are things outside of our um, physical actually outside of our senses that we are connected to like this, ghosts like ghosts yeah um, no, I think universal energy, oh, like energy that like courses through every single living thing um, in the on the physical plane and the spiritual plane. Like we're all connected to that. And there's various ways to tap into that. And what we speak is very powerful. You know, what we think is very powerful. And we have to be very intentional about how we walk through this world. Mm. Everything has an effect um, karmically. So. I wouldn't call myself a hippie, but I definitely <laughs> think that I'm in tune with, you know, or I'm attempting to be in tune with the deeper wisdom of the universe. What about like gemstones? Are you into gemstones? I am. See, that's, I just feel like. You can't put me in a box, <laughs> Ness. Oh <laughs> my. Um, okay, what's your favorite gemstone? That's the final question. What's your favorite gemstone? Uh, amethyst. And why? Because amethyst allows you to tap into uh, the highest parts of yourself, your highest spiritual manifestations, psychic energy. I don't know. I'm not into it for that. But um, being able to that same thing I was talking about, 
it allows you to like amplify the messages from the universe and being able to tap into that that space that cosmic space in the all um and that's really important to me because it's so much this this universe is so much bigger what we don't know is so much bigger than what we know um and to be able to draw off of that energy and that power is really important to empowering our own selves on this physical plane there we go nice answer <laughs> what is uh, the easiest way for people to reach you man my website sarock.com s-a-r-o-c.com and then i am probably most active on instagram but i'm on all these things y'all i'm on i'm on tiktok <laughs> I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, but just type in Cyrock and you'll find me. And is there anything you want to promote? I have a show tomorrow at High Dive. Um, that's what, February 17th? February 17th with the artist Rail, special guest, and it's going to be dope. Oh, shit. I know that guy. Oh, really? Oh, I need to have him on the podcast, though. Yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, come on, Rail, come on through. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but yeah, so that's going to be really dope. And this entire little mini uh, Pacific Northwest tour is going to continue with Portland on the 18th and Eugene on the 19th. So come through, y'all. Hell yeah. Is there any final wisdom you want to leave the audience with? Hmm. Final wisdom. I think what the entire theme of this thing is sticking to your vision and continue to work on your vision. And as you work on the things that you wanna manifest, you uncover the best parts of yourself. So it's not just a one-sided journey. Remember that you are part of the journey. You are informing the journey. And as you grow exponentially in whatever you choose to do, whether it's artistic expression or whether it's a um, another kind of career, you know, what you pour into that Make sure, be mindful that you're pouring into yourself as well. There we go. It's the NAS podcast with Sarak. And we did it. <laughs>